Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Two games, two two nils. Chelsea beat Everton and West Ham beat Leeds in the Premier League last night as the top four race intensifies. Just four points separating the Hammers, the Toffees and the Blues. And with 10 games to go, the chase for Champions League football next season is wide open. We'll look back at yesterday's affairs as well as previewing this week's sole top flight fixture as Southampton head to a wounded Manchester City looking to avoid the backlash of City's weekend derby defeat. We'll be talking Havertz, Lingard, Aguero, Jesus and even Erling Haaland on today's Football Social Daily, the only Premier League podcast with a brand new episode every single day of the season. I'm Niall McCorn and joining me on the show today, Marley Anderson. How's it going, Marley? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Happy days. And we've also got straight talking Stefan Armstrong on Football Social Daily. Hello, Steph. Now and now, you good? Yeah, very, very well. Now, if this is your first time listening to Football Social Daily, welcome along. Great to have you with us. And with a new show seven days a week right throughout the football season, we aim to keep you in the loop with all the goings on in the Premier League. From match previews to all the fallout and everything in between, why not hit subscribe to the podcast? If you like what you hear, we're just a bunch of top flight fans giving our thoughts and opinions on the big talking points. Sometimes they make more sense than others. Sometimes they make no sense at all. Stefan would know all about that. Chelsea 2, Everton 0. Let's start there on today's podcast. Podcast. Goals uh, from Ben Godfrey, an own goal from the Everton defender, uh, which was unlucky for Kai Havertz, actually, who probably felt he deserved that goal. And Jorginho from the penalty spot, securing the 2-0 victory for the Blues at Stamford Bridge. And speaking of Kai Havertz, Steph, the young German, he was the star of the show last night in the Premier League. Is it about time that he stepped up to the mantle and showed everyone in the Premier League what he's all about? We spoke yesterday on the podcast about how it took someone as talented and experienced as Gareth Bale months to hit his stride again. It took him a long time to do that. So is it any real surprise that it's taken Havertz a bit of time to adjust to the English League? There's always uh, an adjustment period needed, I think. Uh, it's a different league to the Bundesliga, obviously. Um, but uh probably took him long enough. Uh, so, yeah, it was probably yeah. about time. Uh, he got he got praise from uh, uh, Tuchel after the game, saying he stepped up. And uh, that's exactly what he did. He, he was kind of a, a bit of a missing link, that flair that Chelsea had been missing um, for large parts of the season although they're on a great run right now so yeah it was good to see and it's probably what the team needs and talking about the t- what the team needs it's probably what players like Werner need um, to, to step up their mm. game as well so it's good to see um, he took it he took it well he took two um, two goals well last night one was disallowed um, with the ball, but um, yeah the, the first goal, uh, a nice little glance in touch. Um, it got the deflection it needed to get past the keeper. So you can, on, you can only take your chances and that's what he did. What are the main differences, do you think, between the Bundesliga and the Premier League? Because, you know, like I say, I bring it back to the Gareth Bale chat we had yesterday. He's played in the Premier League before, but he says he's not 21 anymore. He's sort of 10 years older. Um, it's harder to recover. The intensity of the Premier League is always going to be sort of a level up from anywhere else in Europe. So is that the key difference, do you think, the... The level of intensity, the quality of opponents between the Bundesliga sides and the Premier League sides. I think the main difference is quality of opponent, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. I think the teams in the lower reaches of the Premier League are probably more difficult to beat than if you're going away to Armenia, Bielefeld, or or <laughs> Augsburg, or you know, to, to a certain lesser extent, places like Köln. You know, they're all great football teams um, yeah. with with good history, but the, the standard there is is a little bit less than what you'd find in the mid-table of the Premier League. So I think I think 
a season long intensity is the main difference. I mean, obviously, teams at your top mm. of or top of your Bundesliga are gonna gonna compete in any league. Um, as as we see mm. in the Champions League, um, and again, like teams like Bayern are probably gonna go and win the Champions League. So you know, it's a great league, but I think the season long intensity is the difference. I think there's a lot of. Uh, conversations that can be had about Kai Havertz and Timo Werner and why they haven't performed as well as maybe people were expecting. Maybe pressures with price tag, a changing environment, a changing league, and also moving to a new country as a young man in the middle of a pandemic can never be easy. I doubt it's easy at the at the best of times, let alone when kind of everything's shut and you can't experience the culture and things like that. It must be tough for them, but good to see him step up uh, and show what he was all about. Although I think plenty more from Havertz would be welcome from the Chelsea fans if he is to kind of really live up to the price that they paid for him. Um, Timo Werner's another one that was bought by Chelsea in the summer, Marley. Again, some bright performances recently, but there was one moment last night that really caught my eye. It was a bit of a one-on-one situation where Werner had the ball on the right-hand side of the box. He kind of shifted it onto his left and... A clinical finisher would have buried that. In the end, I think he tried to tuck it underneath Jordan Pickford in the Everton goal and just ended up hitting it straight against him. I think the finishing has probably been the downside of some of those recent performances from Timo Werner. Do you think that he just needs to kind of bury one, score a screamer or any kind of goal to get his confidence up? Because that chance to me, he just looked nervous. He looked like someone who thought, oh, okay, I'm in. What am I going to do? Yeah, you've probably got a point. I think most strikers... You know, they, they, they thrive on, on goals and sometimes one has to bounce in off the backside or hit them in the face and, and fly in um, for them to just, like, unlock themselves a little bit. Um, and I think yesterday, the one thing I like about Werner is he's very important to how Chelsea play. So even if he's not scoring, he's he's still contributing to games. You've seen him against Sheffield United a couple of weeks ago winning winning a penalty, a bit of a dodgy penalty, but a penalty all the same. Um, mm. And the way Chelsea are set up, that it, he gives them that option of the long ball over the top, um, which is the yeah. most simple way to unlock his his strengths and his potential. And you've seen him play pretty much every ninety minutes since Tuchel came in, um, because it's that that um, tactic is always there when you've got him on the pitch. So that's why Giroud's not starting because he he mm. can't he'd struggle to chase a parked car. Um, and Tammy Abraham's just not really fancied at the minute. Um, he might come back into it in, in the coming months or over the summer, but I'm not really sure about his future. So it definitely seems like Werner is the one who's um, being picked to to be the main striker and um, using sort of two number 10s off him, like Havertz or Mount or Ziyech or whoever gets the pick. You know, they're the ones, mm. you know, um, trusted to put the ball in behind the defence. But... Yeah, last night I thought he done well to outmuscle Godfrey. I mean, Godfrey was was rubbish for that chance you're talking about, but um, he did well to to use his mu- his uh, muscle and you know use his frame to to shield the ball and get the get the ball before Godfrey. Um, but yeah, just needed a little bit more composure. But that tends to come the more goals you've scored, and you tend to be you know a little bit calmer in front of goal. But he um, he, he he did snatch mm. at it a little bit, but he still played well enough to, to play next week and he'll I'm sure he'll score goals at some point and some at some point we'll start seeing him, you know, banging quite a few goals for Chelsea, but that's just the way the way mm. they've just got to get used to how he plays and then trust that he's gonna finish um finish the chances and you won't finish the chances unless you get the chances. So as long as they keep doing what they're doing, I think he'll he'll come good eventually. I think I agree with you. I think that there's been a couple of moments where he's had goals ruled out and and chances missed from positions where you'd expect him to score. And that can only sap your confidence. And, you know, confidence is a 
easy thing to earn but uh, it's a hard thing to earn sorry but it's an easy thing to to lose so yeah we'll we'll be interested to see how Timo Werner does uh, fare up front and actually I'll admit that yesterday I thought Chelsea might use Juru against Everton Um, instead they did use uh, Havertz, Werner and Hudson-Odoi and you mentioned the ball over the top it did work it did catch Everton out on more than one occasion do you think it's a case of horses for courses Marley for Thomas Tuchel in, in that situation because we've seen him play with Giroud as the front man, mainly in the Champions League and in some of the early games under Tuchel, and that seemed to really work. Um, but against maybe sides that he feels that require a different strategy, he does have the option of pace in behind with those balls over the top. Uh, yeah, I think the one thing Tuchel's done since he's come in is he's got his tactics right every week, and that that is reflected by the fact that no one's beat them yet. Um, so, you know, he's he's... He knows what Werner brings to the team. He knows what Giroud brings to the team. And, you know, experience and big game type of experience. For example, against Atletico Madrid, you know Atletico aren't going to be the most progressive team. You know they're going to sit very deep. There's not going to be space in behind. So you play Giroud. You play the big man who doesn't need pace to influence a game. And that's that's what you're seeing against them. They got the result. He scored an amazing goal um, and won them, the, won them the tie. And it'll probably be similar in the uh, in the return leg as well but then you've got you know you've got Werner who's who's got something different and he's got different types of striker because I think Tammy Abraham's probably a hybrid of the two and that's probably what's holding him back he's not as quick as Werner he's not as physical as, as Giroud that's probably why he's not getting getting the pick just yet it's probably going to take him a few more months if he's got that um to um to sort of work out what he's what game he's more suited for but when you come in halfway through a season, you've got to sort of maybe work out what's best for you and simplify it a little bit. Like Timo's fast, so anyone that plays anyone, anyone we play who's going to play high, we're going to play Timo. And anyone who's going to sit deep, we're going to play Olivier Giroud, and that's it. Um, and it's worked so far, so you can't really... Even though they've not been sort of free-scoring and scoring loads of goals and hammering teams, you can't really criticise what they're doing because they keep they're, they're being... Pragmatic. They've got that German efficiency of just grinding out wins, haven't they? So it's that's uh, it's what the uh, it's what they've done so far. So you can't really knock it. Yeah, Chelsea with the two 0 victory um, means they still haven't conceded a goal under Thomas Tuchel at Stamford Bridge, and also the only two goals that they have conceded since Tuchel took over. One of those was a penalty. So at the back, they've been absolutely solid, and I think that's allowed them to focus on things going forward. As for Everton, I mean, a, a disappointing blow for them in the race for the top four, Stefan. Do you think there's more pressure now on the likes of Everton, considering they're playing catch-up? They've got a game in hand over Chelsea. Or do you think the pressure will always be mainly with sides like Chelsea to qualify for the Champions League due to the size and the status of the club? I think it's more a question on expectation. Um, the expectation is there for Chelsea mm. to make Champions League and Last night they played like a team who were expected to win that game, expected to make top four qualification. Um, Everton, I expected that, so I kind of, I kind of felt like they, almost the pressure was off them in a way a little bit last night. They just weren't at the races. They only had one shot on target. Um, it seemed a bit sloppy up top. Um, for me, the difference last night was was the was the almost the lack of experience that Everton have at closing down those top uh, positions uh, in comparison to Chelsea, who've done it for the last fifteen twenty years. Mm. 
No, that's a good point. Chelsea 2, Everton 0, final score at Stamford Bridge last night, which means Chelsea hold on to fourth spot, despite the fact that West Ham also picked themselves up three points against Leeds. We'll talk about that game at the London Stadium next, here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now, so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast from Sport Social. New shows every single day of the top flight season, so hit subscribe and that way you won't ever miss an episode. Big win for West Ham last night too in the race for Champions League qualification. They beat Leeds United by two goals to nil. Goals from Jesse Lingard and uh, Craig Dawson to give them the three points. Big win for West Ham, as I say, but... Were Leeds slightly unlucky, do you think, Marley? Two goals ruled out in the first few minutes. Do you think it might have knocked the stuffing out of them, perhaps, a little bit? Uh, yeah, po- possibly, yeah. I think um, even though they sort of don't really affect the game in a sort of concrete way, I think momentum-wise, it sort of takes it out of you a little bit when you think you've scored and then you haven't, you know, you've uh, you've had it disallowed by such a tight margin. I think, was it Rafinha's knee or something that was that was uh, given as offside and yeah. it was so close and then obviously it's part of the game and VAR you know, probably got it right I think they've got most offsides right this season doesn't matter how how tight they are mm-hmm. they are it's either offside or it's not um, but yeah I mean it does it does have a, a psychological effect I think and you know the fact that Leeds got two of them um, and then conceded the penalty was just kind of where the game swung I think and you know judging the bad luck even continued with the fact that he saved the penalty and it still bounced straight back to Lingard. So at that moment, you think there's sure. there's nothing in this game for Leeds because you know that's it just sums up where the where the luck is at the minute. And you know Bamford missed a big chance at the end. You know with his took it on mm. his right foot um, and he put one wide from one on one as well. Of good chances, Bamford. Yeah, he did. Mm. Yeah, it could, yeah. could have been it could have been three, like four three easily, but you know that. To, to any team it doesn't I don't know who had most chances but you know it, it seems like every game is like that for Leeds but when they don't score the chances you know that's that's what you get and West Ham are West Ham are flying at the minute they're just pragmatic they're, they're always mm-hmm. a threat from set pieces they've got a bit of pace and flair and creativity in midfield Pablo Fornals nearly scored goal of the season with that uh, with that volley that come back off the crossbar but you know that's um, that's West Ham for you now. They're a completely different proposition to what we're what we used to see, and we're we're used to seeing them be West Ham and mess it up. Mm. Um, and they're just refusing to do that. But we'll see if they can carry on because they've got some tough uh, tough fixtures coming up. Yeah, they do. They took the lead on 21 minutes after a couple of those disallowed goals from Leeds. Jesse Lingard on the score sheet, as Marley says, a penalty saved, but then tucked home on the rebound, and then Dawson scored from a, a corner. A, a decent header from him. He also hit the post a couple of minutes after that. Two players, Steph, in Lingard and Dawson, who at the start of the season, not many would have expected much from. Lingard wasn't getting any games at Manchester United and Dawson was loaned from Watford and everyone was saying, here we go, West Ham preparing for a relegation battle. But both have been absolutely great for West Ham since they arrived at the club. Yeah, West Ham have... They've been, I think they've been so fortunate with how different players have come in and out of form at different times just to keep this this run going. I mean, there was a while, a few, um, maybe five, six games ago, it was all about Antonio. Uh, then Lingard uh, comes into the team and, you know, his mm. his energy and effervescence and this, this the rebirth of Jesse Lingard from uh, from the last World Cup, you know, that that's... 
that's seen them yeah. through another few games. Um, and then, as you say, the likes of uh, Craig Dawson, I wouldn't have anticipated his career going the way it's going uh, when he was playing at West Brom a few seasons back in Watford. <laughs> Unbelievable, you know what I mean? It just shows you how... Yeah. In the right team, maybe with the right coach and the right manager, you know it mm. can really it can really work for you. So, players who you wouldn't expect keep on keep on delivering. So Dawson uh, securing the tie last night. Um, that's just mm. that's just what's keeping West Ham going on this run. So yeah, it's 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 great times for West Ham United. It's true that Steph, isn't it? Because it was so Czech and then it was Antonio. Now it's Lingard and Dawson's chipping in. All of the players are playing well, and I suppose you have to give credit to David Moyes for that. But on those two players specifically, Lingard and Dawson, they're both low knees. Is that going to concern West Ham? Let's just say if they finish in the Europa League next season or the Champions League even, which looks a real possibility with the way they're going. The fact that those two players aren't their players, um, does that make much of a difference at this stage of a season? Surely if they continue in this vein, the powers that be at the London Stadium would be thinking, right, we need to snap these two boys up on a permanent. Yeah, it might, it might turn out to be a... A costly, fortunate, you know, occurrence. But mm. so, so what? You know what I mean? If if you need to pay a few more mil for to keep Lingard, um, then you do it, don't you? Same same goes for Craig Dawson. Of a, you'll command less of a fee. But what mm. I, in the ideal world, if you're West Ham, you you want to be going for that Champions League spot. I mean, you give these players an incentive to stay with West Ham. You know, somebody like Lingard, you could you could maybe get a transfer to a perceived bigger club. Um, mm. If he had a good spell at West Ham, but if if all of a sudden you're in the Champions League with West Ham next year, you, you're enjoying yourself there. You're really highly rated by your teammates and your manager. Then you'd, mm. you'd stay. I mean, Declan Rice last night, he, he was almost writing a love sonnet to Jesse Lingard in his post-match interview. He was loving it. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 good for West Ham, obviously, if they qualify for Champions League. But it's good for these players as well. It gives them incentive mm. to stay. Do you think there's any danger though that? by them playing too well that West Ham might lose out on them Lingard might go back to Manchester United if they think he's kind of rejuvenated as this player like you mentioned before and Watford are currently second in the championship and they're likely to go back up to the Premier League if they keep up their form and Watford might go well hang on a second Hammers we want to keep him because he's been excellent so you know I don't think there's any danger of West Ham losing out on the players if the, if the price is right so to speak but it might make negotiations more difficult for them yeah, more so for Dawson and Watford, um, but you you can't keep an unhappy player. And if True. if Dawson's loving life in at West Ham uh, in East London, then then it, he will be there. Um, as for Lingard, I think he's he's had his he's had his time at Man United. Um, I think he he's learned that he's not. He's, he's not fitting into that system. Is he was he was no no longer really a backup anymore. Um, mm. And they'll, they'll refresh in the summer anyway, Man United. So he'll always be at that level of a pecking order at Man United. So the time was right for him to move on. He took the move uh, and I think he should keep going with that move. Marley, you've already touched upon the fact that West Ham do have a game in hand over Chelsea, but their next fixtures, Manchester United, Arsenal, Wolves and Leicester. So a real test of their top four credentials. Let's just fast forward and say if West Ham don't finish in the Champions League places. David Moyes said before the game that it doesn't matter um, whether they finish in the Champions League or not. They are still going to be able to keep hold of Declan Rice, their star midfielder, because he isn't for sale. 
He even said that he wouldn't entertain offers of £100 million with Declan Rice because he's worth far, far more. So I guess on both counts, do you agree? Do you agree that Rice is worth more than £100 million? And do you agree that West Ham can still keep him even if they don't finish in the Champions League? I'll tell you what, he might be. Uh, he might not accept £100 million for Declan Rice, but Golden Sullivan might just, uh, might just be tempted. <laughs> um, I think I, I agree that he, they don't need to sell him. Um, because I think as long as West Ham are moving in the right direction, there's no re- there's no real reason for Rice to move. Um, for example, mm. last year they were awful and they only just survived relegation. Um, if this year they were 14th, 15th, then Rice moves 100% this summer. Um, but they've they've transformed the club so well, and to even be in with a shout of Champions League football with 10 games, 11 games to go is ridiculous. So that proves that West Ham have the potential and that is enough to keep players there and have another go next season um, and see how they are. Mm. It's when, I think he would, he'll would move when West Ham drop off a bit. Um, so, if, for example, next season, if they're 13th, 14th and they're nowhere near the European places, um, then maybe he looks at his options and, and where he can go because his, his value is only going to go up for mm. the next two or three years easily. Yeah, you say that and it's one of those things where it's, it's such a circumstantial question you know who would have said at the start of the season or oh, you better finish in the top four this year hammers otherwise you're going to lose Declan Rice everyone would have looked to you as if you had three heads saying what do you mean West Ham finishing the Champions League so I just think it's a question of circumstance because they're close to the top four people can say oh if you don't get the Champions League your star man might be off you know I just think that that's only a question that is emerged purely because of how well West Ham are doing so yeah I think you're right about both counts actually I think that you know I I don't think Champions League qualification would have been uh, a a barometer or a marker as to whether Rice would stay at the club at the start of the season so why should it be now and also north of 100 million pounds for Declan Rice he's a good player maybe he's worth that much to West Ham um, but we've seen what's happened with the likes of Zaha at Crystal Palace when a club puts a price tag too big on a player sometimes that can make them a little bit less productive, let's just say. I'm not sure that's going to happen to Rice, but we've seen evidence of that in the past. I wanted to touch on one thing before we move on, Steph. Set pieces um, and Aaron Cresswell's delivery from corners and free kicks this season. It's been absolutely brilliant. Again, another assist from a corner for Dawson's header. Nearly did it twice in a row in the space of five or ten minutes last night against Leeds United. How important is it? to have someone who can swing in deliveries like that? How deadly a weapon can it be? Because I think you'll probably agree, it doesn't matter what level of football you play, whether it's you know Sunday League on the park to Champions League, set pieces are always going to be huge in the game. That's all I used to do in Division 2 of the under-19s of the York and District League, just a couple of in-swingers every, every game and that's it. <laughs> you know, people love you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we don't, don't really need to to state how important it is because we all know how important it is especially when you, your team's built around big players um, mm. so when, when, you, when you've got the almost the weight and the size of, of what West Ham have got in the box then you prob- you're probably guaranteed a goal a game uh, if you've got a great um, set, set play um, uh, delivery um, which Creswell has and he's, he's been for years so yeah yeah very important 
I did. Th- I did find it quite funny. I saw something on Twitter the other day, Steph, that said, "How can someone who smokes twenty fags a day is out on the the night before a Sunday league game, has drank a bottle of whiskey and five cans of lager, can get up at eleven a.m., swing corners in perfectly, but these players who are on a hundred grand a week can't seem to get the corner past the first man?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you you can't teach it now. <laughs> Lace up those copper mundials, Steph. Get back out there. Final score at the London Stadium: West Ham two, Leeds United. Neil West Ham not quite in the top four um, but they are within touching distance and have a game in hand over Chelsea who are fourth there is just one game that takes place in the Premier League this midweek Southampton take on Manchester City at the Etihad we'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk to hear the latest Premier League news for your team just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Sport Social's Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new show seven days a week, every single day of the season. Just the one top flight fixture this midweek kicks off at 6pm on Wednesday. Manchester City take on Southampton at the Etihad Stadium. 21 in a row, winning streak is over, Marley. Is this just a blip though, the defeat to Manchester United at the weekend? Yes, uh, in in a word. Um, anyone that thinks it's more than a blip and is a, the start of a, a huge meltdown, I think is, uh, is well, he's sat there wearing a Man United shirt probably, or a Liverpool shirt. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's anything to worry about. It's just, it's one game. Um, we know that Guardiola tends to lose uh, a big game. He usually saves it for the Champions League. Um, so if, I think, if you offered Man City fans the chance to uh, lose the, lose a derby and then not make any bizarre decisions in the Champions League, they'd probably take it. So we'll see mm. we'll see how he does. But I think Southampton, you know, coming off the back of their win, they'll be they'll be a bit more confident. But they'll do what they do and they'll try and play football too much against Man City, and they will get pulled apart. I think. Mm. Um, I think. You know the high pressing and stuff from from Southampton works against a lot of teams, um, a lot of the poorer teams, especially like you know they, they killed Newcastle uh, at St Mary's that time, um, which was one of the most depressing games I've ever watched because we just didn't have a clue what to do with it. But teams like Man City, you know, you you press any one of their players and you, they are capable of beating you within mm. a ten yard space and being comfortable on the ball to keep it until you come right up to them and then just pass it round you and pop it round and play your one twos and I think City will run in a few goals. They'll have they'll have um sort of the bit between the teeth a little bit and mm. well, not something to prove per se, but something to get off the chest um and to to sort of bounce back with, with a comfortable victory. I think um Southampton haven't really got a chance, especially without Danny Ings who's mm. missing now for a few weeks, I think. Yeah. But yeah, he's um he's massive for them and if you're gonna win, if you're gonna nick your chances against Man City, you've got to have players like him. Um, even though he's not had the best season mm. but you know um, yeah I think Man City will be comfortable Ings out for three weeks as you say Marley won't play against Manchester City for Southampton talking of ending streaks Southampton broke a streak of their own last time out too they finally won for the first time in 10 games against Sheffield United do you think they can spring a surprise Steph or you in line with Marley is this a good or a bad time to play City you imagine there'd be a bit of a backlash the worst time to play City Man, Man City will come out um, with a bit of a point to prove, just to just to silence any doubters, and I'm 
I'm saying doubters. There's not really any doubters, but if there are, then mm. they'll be silenced tonight. Um, yeah, Southampton haven't got hope in hell, I don't think. Um, and, and <laughs> yeah, they won their last game, but I don't know how much confidence you take from a narrow victory over bottom of the table, Chef United. Um, yeah. Especially going to the Etihad, it's just—it's just not going to happen. And I know—I know you've had a bit of stick on the old reviews of this podcast, you know, for being a bit anti-Southampton, Niall. But I think you'd be justified. <laughs> I think you'd be justified in saying that Southampton are looking more and more and more likely for a little bit of an end-of-season relegation battle. Um, and that will only continue. I don't want to speak too soon. My team aren't up to much and we are two leagues below, so I don't want to twist the knife too much. Um, Manchester City, they didn't use Sergio Aguero for the derby and it felt, Marley, at the time, who am I, by the way, to question Pep Guardiola? He's a genius, but it felt at the time that they really could have used him at some point during that game against Manchester United. They lost 2-0 in the end, by the way, if you don't know the score of that game. But I mean, the fact that Aguero was sat there on the bench, he was fit, he's been fit for a few weeks. Do you think that we might see him against Southampton? Because it felt like he was really kind of sat there in the stands with his big coat on thinking, ah, I want to get out there. This game is the sort of game that I could really make a difference in. Yeah, I was I was quite surprised he didn't come on, even for, for 15, 20 minutes. Um, but I suppose it was 2-0 by that point. So he, Pep probably thought, why... why um, you know, risk his fitness a little bit, or why give him this sort of pointless appearance if if we're two 0 down? But I expect him to start. I think he'll he'll start and he'll come back in because you know we're not far away from the Champions League um, mm. second leg again. You know, Man City play twice a week, every week pretty much. So you can't you know you can't play him for an hour in one game and then half an hour in another because all of a sudden you know you you're asking a lot of a guy who's struggled with a lot of injuries in the last two or three years. Um, especially to like yep. mu- muscles and groins and then a knee injury and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You don't want to ris- risk him back and lose him um, for another six months. So um, yeah, just just sort of nurse him through a bit to the end of the season. Um, play him. I think I think he'll play tonight. I think he'll I think he'll get back to it tonight. I think he'll have something to prove as well and and sort of say that you know I'm, I'm here. I've only played three games this season or whatever it is. But yeah, you know I'm I'm not going away. I'm still mint. I'm still really good at football. So. Mm-hmm. He's, um, I think he'll have something to prove and I think he'll start and I think he'll he'll score. Yeah, no Premier League goal for Sergio Aguero in over a year, as Marley rightly says. Knee injuries and coronavirus isolation and stuff like that have been a big factor in that. And of course, the fact that the season was suspended for three months uh, last time around. So I think it would be a shame if Sergio Aguero is to leave the club this summer off the back of what has been an extremely underwhelming 12 months for him. Um, but I, I don't know why I'm in the same camp as you. I have this vision of Sergio Aguero not really playing much of a role this season. And then in the Champions League semi-finals, performs a masterclass, pops up with a, a late Aguero special to send City through to the final. I still feel that he's got a big role to play for City this season. However, there are going to be question marks over strikers and Manchester City. Stefan, because I don't think too many City fans or even those neutrals observing City fancy Gabriel Jesus too much. And it brings me to this interesting uh, article from the Athletics Man City correspondent, a good friend of the podcast, Sam Lee. He wrote that City's big chance creation and big chance conversion makes for interesting reading. Basically, Manchester City have created the most big chances or open play chances in every season since 2017-18. However, their conversion of those big chances, their ability to turn those chances into goals, was the best in the Premier League in 1718 
and 18-19. But last season, when they finished second to Liverpool, it was fifth. And this season, even though they're sort of 11 points clear at the top of the table, they're currently 13th for chance conversion. So basically, I guess the article, what Sam was trying to pinpoint, was the fact that if they can turn their big chances into goals, they would be even further clear and blowing teams away you know, even more than they already are at the top of the table. And I guess it kind of begged the question. It highlighted the need for a, a world-class operator up front to finish the chances. Now, Aguero is a world-class operator, but he's coming to the end of his lifespan at Manchester City. And they're going to naturally need a replacement. And I don't think too many City fans, Steph, see Jesus as that replacement. Do you think they do need someone like Erling Haaland or Harry Kane to come in and fill that Sergio Aguero role and really convert those chances. Because if you're creating a hat full of chances, a top-class finisher, someone really deadly, could make Manchester City close to unstoppable. Yeah, definitely. He's, he's not clinical in front of goal. He scores one every two games, which for a top, top striker isn't enough. Uh, Man City have got everything except for that, that centre-forward. And over the years, Aguero has been that centre-forward. And as you say, he's, he's, he's slowly phasing out. Um so yeah, it's 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 their priority this this summer. Whether it's whether it's Haaland or I don't, I think it'd be tough to get Harry Kane. Haaland Haaland's mm. the striker that everybody wants this summer. Bayern Munich have already kind of said that they want him. You know, Solskjaer has already said that he's talking to Haaland. Yeah. Um, His dad used to play for City as well. So yeah, yeah, famous Roy Keane crunch. So. Mm. Um, yeah, they, they they need they need a top quality striker. Um, it's it's a shame because Ferran Torres he's he's had nice he's he's had some sparks throughout the season, but yeah. he's not consistently been in that team. And he's I don't think there's full trust there yet, or if he's he's just slowly developing into the player that they want him to be. If he needs to get used to the system, um, mm. so so he he's an interesting kind of wild card uh, to see if that works out. Um, I, I saw him live in the. Uh, this is going to sound mad in the um uh what's what is it the european um under 19s championships <laughs> and <laughs> yeah it was it's spain against portugal it was in uh it was in armenia of all places and um he he was he just looked amazing so if 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 he could do that at a senior level mm. he'll be he'll be one of the best players but um he's not there yet so they probably need a top quality striker for the next two seasons. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you look at City's uh, top goal scorers, there's there's uh, three names above uh, Gabriel Jesus, and he's their main striker. So that says mm. everything. I think one of the examples that City fans were using yesterday was Harry Kane's goal from outside the box against Crystal Palace, where the ball was coming towards him, and he kind of In instinct wasn't it? It was just natural. Yeah, just instinct. He smashed it, kind of swept it across his body, and it curled away from the keeper into the far corner. Brilliant, brilliant goal, you know, and he's turning those chances. I mean, that's not even a chance, really, is it? It's a pot shot for every other player, but Harry Kane's turned it into a goal. And I think that that's the kind of the element of top class quality striker that I think City fans are missing when Aguero's not in the side, because I've seen Aguero score goals from angles where you think, how have you got that in the goal? Like, it's just um, it's just something that he possesses. Anyway, City against Southampton, 6pm on Wednesday, and we'll have all the fallout from that game on Football Social Daily. But for today's episode of the podcast, that will be it. Thank you very much, Marley. Cheers, guys. Just want to say quickly that the thought of Man City with Erling Haaland up front scares the <laughs> out of me. So I hope, <laughs> I hope for the sake of the Premier League they don't uh, they don't go and get him. Oh god! Can you imagine the carnage up front for oh, Man City? Goodness me! Um, guy's a machine. 
As for you, Stefan, enjoy your next trip to Armenia, whenever that may be. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Yeah, I'll think of you. <laughs> this is Football Social Daily. Hit subscribe, you won't miss an episode, and we'll catch you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social.